You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. The Daily Music Business Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Music Business Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Barton from Pinup Artist Management. And today we are going to continue with part three of breaking down a standard recording contract. If you haven't yet done so, please go back and listen to parts one and parts two of this series. Side note, there is a link in the show notes of this episode that will bring you to a PDF of this contract so that you can follow along as well. Last week, we talked about the term of a recording agreement, what a recording commitment is, uh, who holds the rights to the music. And today we are going to continue with name and likeness, websites, videos, and profit splits. We're going to go into the nitty gritty on that and explain how you get paid. Uh, John, let's start off with name and likeness. Uh, so the in this particular one, we're talking about the name of the artist and, and the the um, the company, uh, it, which is the artist or the record label, sorry, is is basically being granted the right to use the artist's name and their likeness and their identification, their personal and biographical material, maybe the sound of their voice or, or or images of them, so that they can market the product. And that um, is is also, you know, basically during the term and. And then um, non-exclusively, you know, thereafter, because if they own the record after the term of the agreement, they're going to want to be able to promote it with your image and likeness. And so there's often discussions about image and likeness. There's often discussions about trademark and professional names. Sometimes you'll see an abbreviation in contracts P slash K slash A, and that would be your name P slash K slash A, which is the performer known as and then your band name or your artist name. And and this is basically just to say, hey, look, we have the right to promote this on television. You can't come back and sue us for using your name on TV or, you know, as one example. Yeah, or, or on the internet or have, have images, you know, in, a, in an ad uh, or your voice in an ad or, or whatever. But they're doing that for your mutual benefit here, obviously. This is one of those clauses that's going to be in every single contract that you see because it's just something that's got to be, you know, out of the way. It's not something that, you know, in my eyes, I don't see anybody ever really fighting over this. Do you? No. Uh, although this, you know, this image and likeness thing does come up in estates of deceased artists, but we don't have to get into that right now. That's a whole sort of other thing. Yeah. Let's, let's just continue on websites. Yeah, so in in this case, the company is going to have the right to use the masters and artwork and art materials, videos and materials, content uh, delivered or furnished um, throughout the company's affiliates and websites and licensees' websites, people they do business with. So they're trying to get you out there uh, as far and wide as they can, and obviously they're going to do it on the web. And so basically... 
the they're they're saying they have the right and artist doesn't have the right necessarily uh, to, to put out stuff on a website without their authority um, like in the last part of that paragraph it says artists shall not have the right to use sell or transmit clips of the masters when our videos longer than 30 seconds on or from the artist site and artists shall provide links from artist site to websites that companies request. So they don't want you skirting the system and giving your fans away or your loyal fans or whatever, you know, stuff for free or, or basically trying to get around, you know, their channel of sale of your, your product. They, they have a marketing plan. They have a sale plan in place for a reason. Everything is done so that they can maximize their ability to profit off of the art that you're mutually creating. And so why did they give you 30 seconds? Is that just so you can put a teaser of something up and do some promotion on your end without having to get written approval? It is, but also if you think about it, streaming uh, doesn't count. Um, you know, like if you go and play a song on Spotify, typically you, this doesn't count as a, as a stream, which is a revenue source, um, unless you hit the 30 second mark. Um, and, and a lot of times you'll see like, if you wanna go ahead of, if you Shazam a song you hear on the radio or whatever, and then you go look and you see Apple, you know, has it, um, sorry, um, then you'll be able to play a 30 second bit on Apple's uh, website or, or whatever before you actually buy it. So sure. th this allows them the ability to market that, but you can market it too, but you're not marketing it any more or less than anybody else's kind of what they would call most favored nations. Everybody's getting the same kind of thing and the best available is 30 seconds so got it got it all right so videos if company and artists mutually decide to produce any video artists will perform in such video the producer director and master for any such video will be mutually designated by the company and artist what does that mean so uh, basically we all know that you're gonna have to make videos right but um, the mutual decision making is, you know, you may decide that not every song is worth spending money on to put a video out. Maybe uh, you don't want a video of a certain song, or maybe the subject matter of a song doesn't necessarily lend itself to a video, or you just don't, you've got a certain amount of budget you want to spend and you don't want to hit all of them, right? So you, you decide right. which ones... Uh, to produce this one, this is a great clause for mutual decision making. You want to work as a team. And as far as budgets, always look at your video production costs and what the company is willing to do. Now, herein we've got some scratch outs. So 100% of all video production costs shall constitute advances fully recoupable from your profit share. Now, in this, we, we struck that. So Obviously, we, we must have been asking for the company to make video production costs non-recoupable, which non-recoupable means you don't pay it back. And we wanted them to put in some money and put in a good faith effort towards promotion. And using videos is a great way to you know, get, the, get the songs and stuff out there. So, Well, there's also something else to be said about this. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but when it says that 100% of all video production costs shall constitute uh, advances fully recoupable from your profit share, this is a very tricky 
sentence. And this is one of those things that can change so much of, of, of what the contract means in my eyes. If you have, um, I always use the same example. If you have a 50, 50 deal and you recoup everything that you spend out of only your profit share and you borrow $10,000, well then you have to generate $20,000 in income to pay back the original 10 because you're only 50% of what's being generated is going towards paying that back. Is that correct? You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. So when they say your profit share deductions, they're, they're talking about the, your, your profits, your money. <laughs> they get theirs first and you're going to have to make it all back up. And in order to, if, if they're taking 100% of it comes out of your pocket, then you have to come up with more to cover it, right? That's ex exactly what you described. Yeah. All of this is so important because if you don't understand these terms in your contract, like how you recoup, then you have no idea how this contract is going to affect your bottom line. Yeah, it, it cannot be overstated that music and the music industry has a significant law and legal and business business uh, perspective. You, it's a deep pool. There's a lot of information. When you're signing a deal like this, you need to have someone who knows what they're talking about and knows what this means. And if you don't know what it means, even if you think you know what it means, you should have someone review it. So if you've ever read Donald Passman's book, All You Need to Know About the Music Business, the first section talks about finding a team and an entertainment lawyer who knows what they're doing is going to be able to read through this and see it and understand whose pocketbook is getting hit first and what monies are getting recouped and what aren't and where the hidden costs are. And they're going to be able to advise you on that stuff. And there's nothing worse than when you, you read it, you're like, oh, it's great, it's non-exclusive, and then you find out it is totally exclusive and, and you're losing out on a ton of rights. I've had that happen to artists, and I always tell people, you know, a, a quick call to me for free could save you tens of thousands of dollars later. So it's just important that this kind of stuff, this dense language and tricky wording gets reviewed by, by an experienced entertainer. Absolutely. So recording, uh, I'm sorry, release commitment. This is what I was talking about earlier where a band or their release might be shelved, meaning that they have furnished it to the label themselves and the label said, you know, for one reason or another, it could be the, uh, the pandemic. It could be that they have changed their mind on what their release plan is. But this talks about what happens if you fulfill your end of the deal and the label then turns around and says that they do not want to put it out. Yes. So the, the fact is this company is required under this clause company will commercially release each, each committed album that is delivered here under in the United States within 180 days after the date of delivery of such album, provided you've satisfied your obligations here under in connection with the initial commercial release of such album. Now, a couple of things to point out, there's a worldwide market out there. And so, you know, they, they did specify the United States, which, which is good. It's a big, you know, it's a big pool here. Uh, but, you know, always pay attention to locations and, and, and know that the word will or shall um, are interchangeable. And this company is binding themselves to releasing it after 180, within 180 days, that's six months. And if they don't do it, you could say, hey, wait a minute, 
you have to do this. And normally there's what's called a notice and cure clause where you have to send them notice that they have failed a term of the contract and they have a certain amount of time to cure that. Um, so that's exactly what that next sentence is. You, you may notify the company within 30 days and if they don't do it, then you can terminate and the company then releases the album within 60 days after the receipt of your notice, then they've hit their cure period. They fixed it. They've cured the deficiency. And if they don't do it before the end of the cure period, then you could terminate by giving the company notice 30 days after the end of the cure period, uh, within 30 days after the end. So there's a period of no Yes, you have to give them notice. They have to have some time to fix it. And then after that, there's a specified period of time in which you have to speak up if you want to exercise your rights. Otherwise, you've given up that option. And this is another reason, again, why we keep hammering this into people's heads that you need to have an entertainment lawyer because, you know, one person cannot remember all of this on their own, especially if they are not a lawyer. And, you know, when all of these different decisions that, especially if this is your first contract and all of this seems like, you know, this is the end of the world. If your record doesn't come out, you're going to be so like caught up in like, what do I do? What do I do that? You're going to miss these little windows here and there that you have to, you know, send a letter to the company and say that they have, you know, not fulfilled their end of the agreement. Otherwise you might just be left, you know, kind of, you know, SOL. Stuck um, with a label that you don't necessarily want to be a part of because they're obviously not, making you a priority and and then there's right. nothing worse. I mean, you, you've put your heart and soul into a project and all of a sudden you're doing something else. You're, you know, swinging a hammer, building houses instead of going on tour. And I have to say there's anything wrong with construction or whatever else you might be doing with yourself. But you know, the truth is as an entertainment lawyer, I don't want today's Michelangelo working at McDonald's because they couldn't paint the picture that got on the Sistine Chapel's walls. You know, I want, people to go out there and make a living doing what they love to do and what they're really good at doing. And that's, you know, too often this business is littered with people who didn't read their contract, didn't understand it, or were just too eager to sign it. Even I've had clients where I've had to tell them you're signing a bad deal and they say, well, I want to do it anyway. And I, you know, that's going against the advice of the lawyer. That's not, if you hire a lawyer, listen to them. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think this is important and uh, I, I don't know exactly what happens here with, you know, in this particular contract with the record. Um, does the company hold on to that record even if they don't want to release it? Or I, I would think so, right? They paid for the recordings and even if they decide to let you out of the contract, they're still going to own those recordings, right? Well, everything on that end, when you start to break a contract, you're going to find that there's a lot more negotiable than, than you may think up front. Now, initially I would say, yes, they, they are by signing this contract, you're creating a work for hire and they're owning it. But once they've breached and you've said that they've breached and they didn't fix it in the cure period, then all of a sudden you open yourself up to, well, now what do we have to do to interpret this? And how do we interpret the breach? Because ultimately, if they aren't fulfilling their end of the deal, you're not required to fill your end of the deal. And so it ends up that it's easy to say all bets are off. Now, 
that's a whole nother discussion and it's one you should definitely go through guided by counsel because a lot of times you will be able to negotiate getting your masters back if they haven't spent too much or there might be a buyout. A lot of times there's buyout clauses that are put in here and they're going to want to make sure they're not losing their money. But if look, if, if they're not going to go through and go the distance with you and run the marathon to get this thing out in the world and make money with it, then as long as you pay them what they've invested, there's no harm, no foul. They should be able to walk away and you should be able to take what you've recorded and do something else with it. I mean, they're not willing to go the distance. If they're not losing any money, then it's, it's negotiable. You know what I mean? Sure. And that reminds me of a story. I, I, I remember a time when a band had done their initial album and it came time for the option and the label had to notify, uh, in in this particular contract, the label had to notify the band that they uh, if they did not want to um, exercise their option. So if it hit a certain date and you hadn't heard from the label, then you were already in the next contract period. Well, what happened is the label decided after that window uh, that they didn't want to do the option. But since they had not notified the band within that window, uh, the band was actually able to get the rights to their music back by saying, I'm sorry, we're already in, you know, uh, contract period number two and we can we can demand that you pay for our next album and put it out now if you guys don't want to do that uh for whatever your reason is then we will agree to you know not fulfill that part of the agreement if you give us the rights to our masters back and the label ended up going through with that and then you know like you said it, it was kind of a win-win for everybody the label didn't have to put up a whole bunch of money for a band they didn't want to keep and the band was able to get out and uh you know redistribute that record you know my wife watches this show outlander and uh you know, it's well, well written show, great period piece, really cool. But there's this one section of it where um, the main character and, and this, this governor, they're saying there's the law and then there's what people do. So, you know, it's really important to know that, uh, that there is the law and there's what's written in the contract and then there's what people do. And you want to make sure that anytime you are signing a contract with somebody that they're actually going to do what they've said they're going to do in this contract, which is essentially the law of the agreement. But at the end of the day, you know, this is an agreement. It's, it's, it's a meeting of the minds. It's what two parties have come together and spread out the risks and the benefits, uh, the allocated the risk and the reward. And they've, they've decided who's going to do what. And, and hopefully they're all going to do everything that they intend to do when they memorialize their agreement in the paper. Now, I, I had worked for a judge for a while who said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's always things that come up, and there's sometimes people who intend to fulfill their agreement but really aren't capable of doing it. So always think about that before you get in bed with somebody. You know, Think about that before this, the contract is signed and, and try and trust your, your partner on the other side of it uh, try and know them enough to trust them. Try and fulfill your side of things, and hopefully they're doing the same. But having a lawyer means you've got somebody who's always watching your contingency planning and, and what happens when shit goes wrong. Sure. All right. Let's talk about profit split. Now, this is uh, this is the part of the contract that says, um, you know, what percentage of the royalties goes to the label and what percentage goes to the artist. So when you hear somebody talk about, um, 
you know, a contract being a one plus two and an 80, 20 split. What they mean is that it's one initial contract or I'm sorry, one initial album plus two options. And it's 80% to the label, 20% to the artist. Um, in this particular example, it looks like it's a, a 50, 50 deal. So, you know, if we're talking about this particular contract, it's one plus two and it's a 50, 50 split. So this section is really dense because there is a big difference between gross and net. And you're going to see that right in the first section where there's been already a correction between net and gross uh, just right there on, on the third line. But it's really important that when you pay attention to, you know, for those audio only podcast listeners, the profit sharing is one of the key sections of any contract like this. And you really want to pay attention to what they're paying you for and what they're excluding, what they're counting as their cost. And, and so they, in the past record companies, like I talked about earlier with the cuts, um, there, there's always going to be a way that they try to shift uh, expenses into a, a, a section that's not counted towards your money. Right. And so the gross versus the net is a really big difference. And if you're not familiar with those terms, definitely, you know, do some do some homework. But read over this profit sharing, royalty sharing, compensation section, whatever, whatever it's called. You want to read that with a fine tooth comb and you want to see what it is that, you know, they're deducting. And you're going to see words like less this, less any adjustments, returns, settlements, allowances discounts, discount equivalents, free goods, rebates, credits, reasonable reserves against anticipated returns, all sorts of things that cut money out of what is the net, which is where they divide up the split between them and you. The gross is going to be the whole amount that comes in. The net is what then gets cut up between your share and their share. And there's this difference between gross and net that they're going to try and pack as much stuff into as possible. So always pay attention to that so that you know where your dollars are, are, are coming back to you. And, and this can mean the difference between a profitable agreement for you or not. And, and, and there's, there's, you know, there's other parts of this that, that kind of come into play here. Now, if a label says, you know, we, we're going to take care of all of the packaging costs, but we want you to use our packagers. Now they can take a record that you might be able to get from disc makers for $1 and say, well, we, we went through our guy that, you know, that you agreed to, and it costs $5 per record. So now, now that, um, that packaging cost and all of that comes out of that gross and leaves you with less of the pie to split. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, the biggest thing that I tell people is they need to understand the term recoupable because let's, let's think, let's talk about the eighties for a second here. Uh, you know, when a band would get signed, you know, all of a sudden they're in a bus, they have huge arenas with all these lights and, you know, a couple of semis full of gear and all of this stuff. And they, you know, they're flying everywhere, et cetera, et cetera, but they never see a dollar, you know in a check form written to them by their label because all of the money that the label is spending to make this happen is recoupable. And so they have to make all of that back. Now, again, like we talked about earlier, if you're only recouping out of your profit share, well, 
for you know in a 50 50 agreement here for every dollar you spend you have to make two to get to to pay that dollar back and you know the chances of that happening are are, are pretty pretty slim at that point yeah it, and it's honestly um not paying attention to that that element can land artists in debt and and that is sad really when you think of, there's tons of artists who you would think are big time artists and and very famous but end up really, you know, they're making less than if you just stayed home and worked for minimum wage. Sure. That's, you know, that's sad. That, that ultimately is the sign of a bad deal because I, I've said this so many times, the bands that get paid together, stay together. You know, if you're, if you're want to, if you're trying to create a career for yourself in any endeavor, you want it to be sustainable. You want it to be self-sustaining. You want to be making enough money to, to, live and continue your art, right? And so sure. many times it's just a failure of planning and, and they didn't do the homework or they signed an agreement that led them into debt that ends up shortening a, a career dramatically. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there in the industry that you can get this information from. I mean, Bob Lessets talks about this kind of stuff all the time. If, if you've ever read the Lessets letter, it's, it's worth reading. You know, he'll say things like, look, if you want to be in it for the money, go, go join a bank because the banks are where, you know, banks have all the money. Um, And, and, you know, there's a certain amount of humor to that, but there's a certain amount of truth. Um, You know, you're doing this for your art, but, but uh, the fact is, if you're not also getting a paycheck, it's pretty damn hard to continue doing your art. I completely agree. It is very tough to be out there three quarters of the year in a van uh, with a bunch of sweaty dudes, you know, missing birthdays and holidays and family experiences if you're not uh, getting paid. Anyway, this uh, wraps up this week and we will finish this off next week with the last chapter of the breaking down a standard recording contract. Please add me on social media. My handle is Jesse AIB and my email address is jesse at pinupartistmanagement.com. If you have anything that you'd like to hear or a subject that you'd like me to explain, hit me up, send me an email and let me know what you want to hear. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.